Welcome to the Timeout Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the outspoken 2017 Lexus IS. Welcome to another week of Timeout Bulls. And I'll tell you what, I love hosting the Timeout Bulls podcast uh, because of people like John Pax and our next guest. And Pax, of course, the executive vice president. You know Pax is a player. I knew John Paxson really as a high school All-American, and he could have gone anywhere in the country, and I mean anywhere in the country, and he doesn't want to hear this, so when he's listening to the podcast, he's probably going to drive off the side of the road in a Lexus. But uh, without, without Pax, the Bulls don't win three championships in 91, 92, and 93 when he was a player with the Bulls during that, that period because he got down and dirty. And I love the one-on-one matchups with Pax and Isaiah Thomas because he got an Isaiah Thomas grill. And, of course, he's been successful. He was successful as a player, as a broadcaster, as a you know front office administrator. And there is a lot to John Pax and more than basketball. And we're going to hear his story right here on Time Out Bowls. John, I want to talk about your dad for a moment because a lot of people don't realize they obviously have followed your career and your brother's career, which we're going to discuss. But your father was a terrific ball player at the University of Dayton. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the third overall pick in the NBA draft. How much did he share with you about his playing career? Well, it, my dad had an interesting career. It was very short, and it was short for uh, a couple of reasons. He uh, um, he did. He played at the University of Dayton. Um, he grew up in a little town not too far from Dayton called Springfield. And that's, a, that's kind of a neat story how he even got to Dayton. He, uh, he had, uh, uh, there was a guy that uh, he knew in Springfield, a gentleman, that they were having tryouts at Dayton. And my dad didn't have, my dad came from a pretty poor family. His, dad, his father was a carpenter. Um, and the, so they, he didn't have a, a pair of shoes in this, this gentleman. Uh, back in Springfield, said, well, look, I'll get you a pair of shoes, get you to Dayton, you can try out for the Dayton basketball team. And uh, so this guy got my dad a pair of shoes um, that were a size too big, but he went to the tryout, and he ended up getting a scholarship uh, at Dayton and, and uh, you know, and, and had, a, had a nice career there. But, um, yeah, he, so he, he got drafted in 1956. He was the third player selected in that draft. Um, by the uh, Minneapolis Lakers. Mm-hmm. Spent his first year in Minneapolis, did not have a very good rookie year, uh, but then he got traded to Cincinnati, you know, just outside down the road from Dayton. So he played for the Royals. And he actually had a pretty good second year. He averaged about 10 a game. But that was an era where, you know, these guys weren't making a lot of money. They worked during the off seasons. Uh, and my dad had gone to work um, for my mom's father, who was in the insurance business. And in February of uh, 58, which was my dad's second season, uh, my grandfather, his father-in-law, passed away. And so after that year, it became, uh, for him, he had to go leave the game and go take over his father-in-law's business. And, and my dad ended up selling insurance for the next 30 years because that's that's really what he had to do to support his family and, and, and keep the business alive. So how much did he share about pro ball at that time or his career when did he have that father son or sons in this case conversation or, or did he just go another direction and you learned on your own about what type of career he had at Dayton or in the NBA well he you know the the NBA experience I don't think was a, a great one for him because it was short and uh 
I, I really don't recall him talking about it all that often. The one, the one thing that uh, that came out of my dad's career was this uh, friendship with, the, and you'll remember the name, Marie Stokes. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was on that Cincinnati team with Jack Twyman. Jack, when when Marie Stokes uh, fell ill. Uh, in fact, my dad actually missed that plane flight because he's back at my uh, my grandfather's funeral. It was all during that time. Uh, but uh, the the one the one thing I remember is that he used to take us down to see Maurice, who was uh, you know he was in a an assisted living place because he'd had the stroke and 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 all the complications with it. But uh, he was a huge influence on my dad, and he was a huge influence on our family. Really. So you met Maurice Stokes then as a kid? As a kid, absolutely. absolutely. I didn't understand that. You know, I knew the story of right. Maurice, you know. But uh, Jim, my brother Jim, who's four years older than I, uh, really was impacted by it. And when he was had the opportunity to, you know, in the Catholic Church, you have a confirmation. And mm-hmm. when he chose his confirmation name, he chose Maurice as his confirmation really? name. Maurice Stokes, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's a great story. Yeah, and it was yeah. also a great bonding story that goes far beyond the realm of basketball. It's, you know, it's about life with, you know, an African-American and a white, and they come together. And it, it, it's truly a remarkable story. And I really want to encourage our listeners that listening to uh, John today, to Google Marie Stokes, because it is a, a terrific, terrific lesson in life. So your father, his career is cut short. You said he goes into the insurance uh, business. And your brother, your older brother, attends the University of Dayton and has a spectacular career. And we're going to talk about Notre Dame with you in a moment. But did you watch him play? Was he one of your idols growing up? Or did you have this you know, this sibling rivalry where, you know, you were going after him in the backyard and he was coming after you. Well, you know, it's, when, you, when you're a kid and you're, we were, we were four school years apart. And when you're four school years apart, that might as well be 10. Because, you know, when I was growing up, I never got to play, you know, with he and his buddies, you know, out in the driveway or anything like that. I was just, I was too young, I was too small. And so we, we really didn't have that type of, you know, rivalry where, you know, we played against each other. So because of that, I did have an opportunity just to watch him. And I watched him, you know, grow as a player. And I've said this for years. I, Jim had as unbelievable work ethic as anybody I'd ever seen growing up. In fact, I, I never, you know, I, I never thought I, I could work as hard as he did. And I, and I, I didn't because I, he was, to me, the hardest, the hardest worker. I, I remember one summer, and you have to remember, this is back – there was no AAU basketball for any of us growing up. You know, you had to, you played on your own. You found open gyms, those type of things. And in the summer, uh, when he got to college, there was one summer where um, he, he went around to like seven or eight college camps and worked them. But he went there to work them so that he could play. You know, I, I know he went down to Maryland and uh, Albert King, those, those type mm-hmm. of guys, if I recall correctly. I might have some of the names wrong. But uh, he, he would go to, to work camp, but it was more to play against the competition. And so, uh, you know, that's just what he did. So um, I, I, I had a great amount of respect, you know, as I got older. When I, when I started to, to get serious about playing and wanting to be a good player, I had a great amount of respect for, uh, for him in terms of how he worked because he, he, he really did get after it. And, and you, had to, you had to go pursue games back then. You, know, you, didn't have, you didn't have these systems set up in place mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, you went to AU things and you played all the time. You, you had to go find competition and games, and uh, it, it was it was a different era. But it was I, I'm 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 very fortunate. I feel very lucky that I grew up in that time. I, I liked how it it developed us as players. You know, you you developed a toughness in 
in pickup games when you had to score, you know, you had to win your you know game by two, other or else you may you may not get back on the court for mm-hmm. forty five minutes. So uh, there's little things in in that time period that I think are lost today. But uh, uh, he he was a great role model. Really so when when he entered the University of Dayton, you're four years behind him, and I'm just wondering, John, as we talk about your relationship with your brother, did was there pressure on you when you went? and played high school ball because you're basically in the same region were you not as far as where you play high school ball you were near the Dayton area oh, correct? Yeah. Kettering's a suburb of, of Dayton so uh yeah I mean you know I I uh it was, was it tough to live up to that moniker that was well I, I look it, when you're a, a younger brother of a very good anything basketball player any type of athlete anybody you're going to be referred to as Jim's little brother a lot, and I and I was referred to as Jim's little brother a lot, and because he was, you know, his high school success had carried over to the college game, um, you know, I got that a lot. But I, I in high school I started to carve out my own identity. Correct. Um, yep. My junior year we won a state championship that uh, the, our high school where Jim had gone had not. You know, that's the first one in our in our school history. So. So your brother didn't win a state championship. He got, he got to the state semifinals his senior year and. Uh, and they and they lost, um, but uh, um, so I, I had a you know so so I started to carve out my own identity. But um, and and at that time, you know, when Jim was coming out of high school, it was 1975, and he he had gone to the prestigious five star camp uh, the summer before senior high school, and he got that's where he got a little bit of recognition. But it wasn't anything like I was going to get by going to five star mm-hmm. three and four years later. And he had been recruited. Uh, his his he, he actually was recruited by Tennessee. Ray Mears was a coach down there. It was right. It would have been the Ernie a, Bernie it show. It would have been the time of the Ernie and Bernie show. Yeah. Um, he got recruited by Holy Cross, um, and he, and uh, and uh, George Blaney was the was on that staff uh, at that time, and and he got recruited really Dayton. Those were really like the the three schools that. So he he decided to stay home and in town, which was a, a good decision for him. Um, and as his career went along, he would be, he would end up at that time. He was the second leading scorer in the history of the University of Dayton. There was no way that I was going to be able. I, I knew at that time. I, I, first of all, I knew I wanted to get out of of Dayton. Just you know, again to kind of continue to carve my own niche as a player and a person. Uh, but it was it would have been really really difficult to to have gone to Dayton. And you know, the, the, there's there's. There's a dy- there was a dynamic there that was difficult too because the head coach of Dayton at the time was Don Donner, mm-hmm. legend, uh, legendary coach. Uh, Don Donaher played basketball at the University of Dayton with my dad. Uh, there were a whole group of guys that played in the 50s at UD that uh, stayed in the area. It was really a neat kind of connection. Well, and and uh, Mick as as Don Donaher's uh, you know no, affectionately known to everybody in, in Dayton, Mick Donaher, he. Uh, he, he was Jim's godfather as well, so it was a kind of an odd thing. I, I, I but I knew I, I, I knew I personally had to get out of, of Dayton, and if I tried to to live up to who Jim was, uh, it, it would have been too much pressure on me. And like I said, I just even three or four years later, by going to Five Star, it had grown so much just in terms of the college coaches that went there, and so I was seen by a lot of schools, a lot bigger schools than, than probably Jim was seen at even, you know, the, those years before. So I, uh, I got rec- recruited at a, a fairly high level and ended up uh, making three official visits to Notre Dame, North Carolina, and, and Duke. So, yeah, I, 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 want yeah. To talk, I want to talk about that in, in a moment. Just, just to close this 
um, journey with your brother. So your brother goes to Portland, very high draft pick in the first round, has a great deal of success. He's a multi-all-star player and a very, very good player. But in those days, John, there was no NBA league pass. All these games weren't televised. You're, you know, playing high school ball or you're just entering Notre Dame. How often did you get a chance to see your brother play at the pro level? Not very often um, because, yeah, he was out in Portland. I think USA had had games on late at night, so I'd get to see maybe every once in a while you, 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 I'd get a uh, catch a Portland game or something like that. And uh, plus with the time zone. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. was so, so it, it, it was tough, and you're right. It was just, you know, now you can see every game. I, I, I couldn't, but I, you know, it was back in the day where, you know, I'd couldn't wait to get the paper the next next day to see see, you know, see what he did sure. and, and that type of thing. Um, he he uh, he had a an outstanding career. Uh, you know he was a two time All Star in '83 and '84. Uh, you know he averaged 21 a game several years in a row. And you know he made his mark uh, really by by moving without the ball. He he was a difficult cover for guys because he just and he, and he played in a system early in Portland under Jack Ramsey. Yes, that really kind of suited him yes they, it did they, they had yep. they had very good passing big men and michael especially in michael thompson uh if you remember him and and they ran a they they, they ran a, a very effective break jim was jim was a good lane runner wing runner and they ran this little action called turnout where jim would run you know the court cross under the basket he'd come out off a screen and sometimes he had that jump shot sometimes he set back picks for him he was just constantly in motion he got a lot of things going to the basket and and uh, kind of in the mid-range, so um, you know he 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 really made himself into a, a terrific player. And you know we were we we were always different because he's he's six six, I'm only six two. Um, you know I was never going to be the type of player that he was. And I, I I knew really when I was in college that you know he 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 was going to be uh, you know I, I was never going to be individually what he was going to what he was. Uh, being, being able to do at the pro level. And, and yet, you're heavily recruited. And give me an idea during that period of time, what, what made you select Notre Dame? Here you are, you're being recruited by everyone, and you've come down to three excellent schools. And everyone wants, uh, you know, John Paxson. So what separated Notre Dame from the other two? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I went down, you know, back then, you uh, college practices started uh, – um, you know, October 15th. And my senior year of high school, I took my uh, official recruiting visit to North Carolina the first weekend after that. And I saw two Dean Smith practices. And I was, I fell in love with that program, with Coach Smith. The Carolina Blue, the uh, whole, just every, Carmichael, and, and, the whole bit. Everything yeah. about it, but just, just his, the way he coached. Uh, Did he have a presence about a, him? Absolutely. And he had a command. Of, and, and when he blew his whistle, those guys ran to spots, and it was just it was organized and efficient, and um, and it, it was just it was really impressive. And you could have seen yourself with your personality as you were developing to say I could I could see myself here. Absolutely, and, and uh, you know one one of their assistants at the time was a, a gentleman by the name of Eddie Fogler, and Eddie uh, had recruited me hard, and I I really I really liked him a lot. He was he was good, but that that those practices I saw just kind of blew me away and I, I wanted to make my decision early and um, so I, I it's, it's, a, it's a funny story it says a lot about my dad it was early December and I told my I told my dad one day I said hey dad I think I made it I have I made up my mind where I want to go to school and he said okay what, what you gonna do and I said well, I, I really I, I want to go to North Carolina and he said uh, he goes okay 
He said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I, I, want you, I don't want you to tell anybody. He said, I want you to just think about this decision, all the reasons you want to do it, that type of thing. Just sit on it for a few days and see how you feel. And if, you know, if that's the way you want to go. And I, you know, I don't so know. he didn't push you or no, he did no. not try and steer you to. Oh, no, no, no. He was just, he was giving me advice. You know, advice and he wanted to make sure that I was, you know, really processing the information. And it's the funniest thing, over the next three or four days, I, it just didn't sit right with me. And I started to rethink. So what happened from the time when you went well, to I, that? Yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I don't know all the reasons, you know. But it just, there head. was something, something internally gut, that. Some, yeah, something in my gut that just said, I, you know, I don't know, this isn't right. And uh, I kind of reevaluated in my mind. And about a week later, I, I said, you know, I don't know why you told me that, but uh, uh, I did. And, yeah, I, I, I want to go to Notre Dame. I am going to go to Notre Dame. And so I, I ended up uh, committing to Notre Dame early my senior year of high school. All right, so. Pax, help me out here, and, and you were right in the throes of it. The The idea of, of Dean Smith and Digger Phelps seem polar opposites. Maybe they, maybe they are. <laughs> okay, so you, you're on campus, and, you know, and I say this because I, I covered a lot of Notre Dame ball when I was doing DePaul, but, you know, Digger likes the attention, and Digger is the first to admit that, you know, with the plaid sport coat, and Digger likes to get out there. And so... He, but his program was on a run, a major role yeah. in the 70s and early 80s. So give me an idea. You, you arrive in South Bend. Was Notre Dame basketball, where was it at when you well, entered? First of all, you know, and, and I think this is probably one of the things that led me to the decision. I, I, didn't, it, I didn't go to Notre Dame because of Coach Phelps. And I, and I respect Digger, you know, that type of thing. I, I think my process ended up being – you know, where do you want to get your education from as much okay. as anything, those type of things. Where I, in North Carolina, would you say that you would have gone there because of Dean Smith? Or I, the, I don't know. Or that, a little bit of both? I, or I, Maybe a little bit of both. both. But it's, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed playing for Digger, but I, I made the decision really as much as anything based on the education. You know, I think when you look back, I, I, at the time, I, you know, my parents could see me play more often. There's a lot of things that I think played into it. So, um, so yeah, I but the Notre Dame experience was great. They had in 70, uh, 78, I entered in the fall of 79, 78, they went to the, their only final four appearance. And, and they played Kentucky, yeah, I believe. Right. And, and then, uh, uh, the next year they, they went to the lead eight. And, uh, so I was going to a program that was really, really good. And, you know, at the top of the, and, you know, top probably seven or eight programs in the nation. Uh, they had a, a great cast of players, um, the, the seniors on my on the team my freshman year were Bill Hanslick, who was a longtime NBA player, mm-hmm. uh, Rich Branning, who was just a terrific. You know, both both guys were great, great senior leaders. Uh, and then the uh, the junior class was Kelly Trapuca, uh, Orlando Woolridge, Tracy uh-huh. Jackson, and it, it was a it was a it was a good situation to walk into. There wasn't you know a whole lot of pressure on me to step in. I got to you know I I, I was able to earn some time some minutes as the year went along. Uh, but unfortunately f- for me, we, we didn't have the success in the tournament, the, the really the, the first two years when we were really good. We had great regular seasons, and we got to the tournaments, and uh, my first year we lost in the, you know, back then I, I think there were only 32 or uh, might have been 48, but we, we lost in the first round in Missouri and Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, you know, they, they had a great team. They had Larry Drew and – uh, Steve Toponovich, John Sunville, that crew, but uh, but it was it was it was disappointing. And then my second year, when we really we really thought we had 
uh, legit chance that year. And uh, we had, we had, you know, we'd lost Hanslick and Branning, but it was still Trapuca, Warwick, Jackson, myself, and we had, uh, we had a freshman center named Joe Klein who had, mm-hmm. who had come there. And we had, we beat Virginia, who was the number one ranked team in the in the country that year at the Horizon. Yes, yeah, Ralph yeah, Sampson. Yeah, yeah, we yep. beat them. Uh, in a Orlando Warriors made a fadeaway jumper at the buzzer to to win that game, and we. Uh, Pax, that game had a lot of hype. I yep. mean, that was that was an, an unbelievable game. It really was, and that 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 building was rocking. I mean, yes, it was. It was, uh, was rocking, and then we, uh, you know, we went into the tournament, and you know, we played a game against James Madison that we won. And then we we ended up uh, hitting BYU, and, yeah. and everybody, everybody remembers that. And you know, so when you see Danny Ainge, you go the other way. Do you just I don't no, want to deal no, with you because I mean we can we can fast forward to the Phoenix series. Of yes, bingo. Thank you. Know, you. But but no, but it took a long time to to redeem myself for that one. But um, you know the thing is, we did a really good job on on Danny that entire game. Uh, we, I, I ended up with twelve, and he'd had thirty seven the game before against UCLA to to advance to play us. And uh, we did a really good job on him. I'm I'm still convinced that had there been a shot clock back in that era, we we would have maybe the, the outcome could have been different because we had a we were up in the second half, and it was kind of the the time it was that time of basketball you know where you got a lead you kind of got cautious and you held the ball and yes. you tried to milk possessions and only take and it really you end up playing defensively instead of keeping the the foot on the gas. And we lost our lead in that second half, and then we we made some plays down the stretch that weren't very smart, and uh, and then Danny went the length of the court and laid it in. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that was that was disappointing, and um, and that really was my last shot at Notre Dame to you know in terms of having success because we ended up losing uh, that senior class, and we actually had a couple other guys on that team that were were really good guys that they didn't play much, they provided a lot of a lot of things for us. Uh, Stan Wilcox, who's actually the the uh, athletic director, director of Florida, Florida State, State right now, was was on our team. Uh, we had a seven footer named Gil Salinas, who was also a yes. just a great guy out of so, San Antonio, out of I San believe. Antonio, correct. And so we we had a, a great group. We lost all those guys. Joe Klein transferred to Arkansas, to Arkansas, and we we they had only recruited a couple of guys, um, and we really, I mean it. it we fell off the the map right quickly. I mean, we had a a, a very, I had a very you know our junior year we my junior year was it was really tough. It wasn't what Notre Dame basketball was about. So and your in your last year you went to the NIT and unfortunately yeah. lost to Northwestern. Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. And I the funny thing is you know we it was at that time. So this is eighty two eighty three season. The uh, all of college basketball was experimenting with the three point line mm-hmm. and the, and some were experimenting with the shot clock. And because we were an independent, uh, I think in fact that year the ACC had a three-point line that was inside the top of the circle. I think it was 17, point, you know, 17 feet nine inches, and so we were an independent. So Digger told us all year, he said, uh, "Look, when we're never going to play, you know, because we'd always had the choice to play with some different rules." He said, "We're never going to play with shot clock. We're never going to play three-point <laughs> line." Because and he, this was the the reason he said, "Come NCAA tournament time." We're going to be the most prepared team because we haven't had. So we didn't make the tournament. We got an <laughs> the NIT. They they had a thirty second clock and a red, white, and blue, blue ball. ball. <laughs> and so it was it was <laughs> it, it, 
probably meant to be, but no, uh, we, uh, yeah, it was St. Patrick's Day in 83, and uh, we, we lost to yeah. Northwestern. I actually yeah. called that game with Rod Thorne Did you really? on radio. Wow. How about that? But, 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 Pax, not to dwell on this, but you play your last game, a celebrated career. You're, you're going to be a number one pick by San Antonio a few months later. What was it like taking off the Notre Dame jersey for the last time? If you can kind of process this as I'm asking you the question, here you are, it's St. Patrick's Day night, you're in Chicago, you've just played your last college game. How did you feel? Yeah, it was, it was anybody who's been through that, it's, it's a little bit uh, surreal and, it, and it's difficult because you, you, know, you, you never think about it ending. You know, you're always kind of focused on uh, the next game the next or game the next season. Or... Thing. And as much as anything, you know, it was it was the fact that, you know, not only my playing at Notre Dame, but, uh, you know, the whole experience of being at Notre Dame, being a student athlete there was coming to a close. And uh, but, you know, I, I uh, when I look back and it, it's so funny because, you know, so much of life is determined by decisions you make, you know, at one point, you know, and when I when I made that decision to go to to Notre Dame and not North Carolina, um, you know, I'm, I ended up meeting my best friend at Notre Dame, uh, you know, and you know, and I, I often say this to myself, you know, if I'd gone to Carolina, I would have played with Michael, but I'm, I probably wouldn't be in the position I am today because th- th- this is uh, this is kind of an interesting story too because um, when. Uh, I, so I spent my first two years in San Antonio when and my contract was up after two years. And when Jerry Krause got the job in Chicago and he was trying to assemble a roster, one of the people he knew well and called asking about me was Roger Valdeseri. Roger was the longtime sports information mm-hmm. director at Notre Dame. And Roger obviously told Jerry, you know, some good things about me. And it's one of those things that had that not happened, who knows if I ever would have. So you became friends with him while you were a student. Yeah, well, and, Roger and was always around. Was yeah, always, was, always yeah, around. Yeah, Roger was great. He was he was one of the the, yes. the great human beings, you know, and just represented Be, Notre Dame and, and oh yeah, fine, the fine the best. Uh, yeah, Roger's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back to our guest in a moment. Let's take a quick break to thank our friends at Lexus and tell you about the new 2017 Lexus IS. Now, much like your favorite Bulls players. The new 2017 Lexus IS has a powerful stance, a strong profile, and an undeniable presence. Visit your Chicago area and Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive an outspoken IS today. It proves that some of the most powerful statements don't need words at all. Now, let's get back to Time Out Bulls, driven by Lexus. John, because so many people listening to our our, uh, Time Out Bulls podcast know of you in this area as a Chicago Bull. But I want to just kind of visit your first two seasons in San Antonio. You're a rookie, you're drafted, help me out here, 19th? 19th, yeah. 19th overall. And you join a club that, if memory serves me correct, probably Artis Gilmore was on that club, George Gervin was on that team. Mike Mitchell, Johnny Moore. uh, We we, Yeah, in fact, they had gone to the Western Conference Finals the year before, won 56 or 57 games. Uh, John Lucas was also on that team. Um, but they, they'd had – Stan Albeck was a coach, but Stan had left to go to New Jersey. Uh, they hired their assistant, Mo McCone, and for whatever reason, uh, that team just didn't 
didn't mesh. We, we didn't even make the playoffs that year. What was like? What was your well, first you know, year what, like it, in the well, league? Here, I, I got an education in the NBA, and th- th- this is again, this is 1983, and times have changed very much. Um, my agent coming out of school was Larry Fleischer, and who was the head of the players' player, association. Head of players association. He was my brother's agent, and that's it. Just made sense. The owner down in uh, San Antonio at the time was a gentleman by the name of Angelo Drosos. Mm-hmm. There was no rookie scale or anything like that. Those contracts were negotiated. And what I would learn later is that Larry and Angelo had a very contentious relationship. And so Angelo Drosos really, as, as he would tell me at a Christmas party later that year, he really wanted to, to sting Larry Fleischer. And I ended up not reporting to camp until two weeks in I finally just said I gave up I I said I got to get in but you know all things considered the San Antonio basically was you know I was a 19th pick I took far less than the 20th 21st 22nd picks got because I had no choice he was gonna he was gonna make me sit the whole year because he and Larry Fleischer had some issue you know going through the so you were the poster child, so to speak, because of this relationship, yeah, it, and you were caught in the middle. I was caught in the middle. It was really, it was really unfair. It was, it was a, it was an ugly way to like look at the league just coming in. So I came <laughs> into this team that was already established. Um, here I am, this rookie. Two weeks late. Two weeks late. Welcome I, to the NBA. Exactly. Well, and, it, and it, you know, so it was, it wasn't a good. Yeah. It wasn't a good way to, you know, to to give a, a first impression, and I had a really difficult first year. I didn't play much. Um, I, you know, I struggled when I did play, uh, just trying to find my niche, my role. Um, the one saving grace that year uh, for me it was, first of all, you have to remember back then we had, you had two coaches, a head coach and assistant coach, and you had a trainer. And that was really your traveling party. And, you know, you didn't have coaches really to shag balls for you, whatever. John Lucas was on that team, and John would spend time with me after most practices and he would feed me balls and he would encourage me and and you know those type of things and so I I, I had a lot of respect for and this was a time when when Luke was going through a lot of his personal struggles yep. which he has absolutely turned around and yes you know reshaped his life which is an amazing story but uh he he, he was really good for me and I and I to this day I he, uh, you know i Count my blessings. He was oh. there for me, you know, that, that I could, you know, because yes. he worked with me. Pax, you know? what? I sat right next to him on the plane with the Raptors. He came in as, I don't know, if, uh, a consultant. I don't know if that's what they called him. But he joined the staff, and me. he made all the road trips. He sat next to myself. Gene Cady was on board as well. And I learned so much about life and his experiences. He was very transparent about the demons that he oh, yeah. was going through yeah. and to see where he's at now and helping the youth in Houston and all these, I don't know if he's involved in AU or developmental camps for these kids, but he's getting it done. Yeah. And it is, it's a great story. You come to Chicago and uh, I want to talk about the 85-86 season. You had a terrific year that season, if memory serves me correct again. It was the year that Michael had a stress fracture in his foot and played only 18 games. And of course, everyone knows what happened in the playoffs against Boston. When Jordan went down that year, you had to assume a lot of responsibility, a lot of leadership. Was that a break breakout year for you where you said to yourself, you know, I can play in this league? Well, actually, the, the breakout year for me came the next year. The next year, 86-87. Yeah, right, exactly. The 85-86 year, 
it was funny because I had I was I agreed again I was a free agent and I I was getting the season started training camp all that and the, the season actually started and I had uh, Phoenix Atlanta and Chicago were chasing me and Jerry Krause I didn't know Jerry from Adam and but he he, he called me you know every few days and he say just sit tight you know trying to work something out you know so and and they had signed Kyle Macy during the summer and they'd actually made a couple moves brought some of those guys I'd played with in San Antonio George Gervin because we had Stan Albeck as the coach then so but I I flew to Chicago and it was either that day or the day before when I flew to sign Michael hurt his foot out in uh, Golden State that's right so I ended up going to Chicago signing my contract flying out to meet the team in LA and as I was walking in the hotel, Michael was walking out to go to fly home to get his foot repaired. And all so that you stuff. signed so in season. I did. I signed in season. Yes, I did. So, um, which was, you know, I, I I never wanted to do that again. It was it was really hard, but it was a lot of it was because Jerry kept calling saying, "Just sit tight. Sit tight. We're going to I'm going <laughs> to sooner this, or I'm, later I'm I got to get my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to figure this out. So, uh, so that that year was odd because you know Michael wasn't around, and then uh, he, he, when he did come back. Uh, he had a minute restriction on him, yeah. which was smart, but it was hard to tell Michael, you know, you're only playing X yeah. number of oh, minutes. Yeah. But well, yeah. What was the 63-point game like from your view? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, you, you couldn't have asked for a more uh, kind of historic setting. I mean, to have it done in Boston Garden. Um, what I remember is that he was just in another zip code as a, a player. I mean, that's something that, you know, I'd never experienced before. And... Boston tried everything. They they tried to double team, tried to triple team, and they tried to take it out of his hands. He just was in one of those those grooves as a player that we would fortunately see many many times in the future. But he, uh, you know, he really did. Uh, he, he was phenomenal. So you know, to be a teammate and to be a part of that was was pretty cool. But it was unfortunate. You know, we, you know, Boston was just a, they were a better team. They they played better together. Um, I think that you know, 63 points is an amazing feat, but you know, it was one of those situations where it didn't help us. You know, we ended up not winning, and then we mm-hmm. went back. That was game two, I believe. We went back to Chicago for game three, and you know, Boston just came in. It was famous. Larry Bird, you know, said, "I'm just taking one set of clothes because we're yes, going to be there for right. one game," <laughs> and uh, and that was that. So, um, but but it it did uh, kind of set the table for a lot of things uh, for us as a basketball team going forward. Uh, you know that Boston was a bit of a rivalry, and then we started to creep into the the mid to late '80s when Detroit became a huge rival. And one of the things that I I always thought was you know like, and and it'll never happen because we've expanded as a, a league so much. But back then, you know, we played all the teams in our division six times, and so when you play a team six times during the regular season, then you see them in the playoffs, and you know sometimes you we would hit. Uh, Detroit or Cleveland, and we would have played them 13 times during a year. You wonder why animosity built mm-hmm. up and, and that type of thing. The, the rivalries back then were pretty; they were pretty meaningful. Well, I, I, I want to ask you this, Pax, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, was it personal with Detroit? Was there a hatred? I mean, when you knew that you were going to play Detroit regular season, and then the playoffs, where you're playing them, a possibility of seven times in a week and a half, a two-week period, uh, and you got in Isaiah Thomas's grill. And I know for a fact he did not enjoy playing against you because— and, he, and, but he always lit uh, me up. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, I'm not embellishing this, folks. I mean, you got in his grill, and you played him chin to chin. 
Do you, was it personal with these two teams, the Bulls and Pistons? Yeah, you know, we, they they had they had earned their arrogance. You know, I mean, they they had they they were they were a team that was getting to the conference finals every year, finally getting to the finals, finally winning the finals. Um, but yeah, they, it, it was it wasn't pretty. They 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 had an arrogance about them. They had a physicality. Um, it it was apparent that they were oftentimes out there to, to try to put Michael on his rear end and hurt him. I mean, it, right. And and the league the, the rules were different. I mean, you you could be physical. You could take hard fouls. There was no such thing as a flagrant foul back in those days. Um, you could control guys more defensively with your hands. You know, so and they and they just they made it their mission. To put Michael on the floor as much as they could, and uh, and and they did it with a an arrogance and a cockiness, and and some of it, and a lot of it was cheap. I mean, you know, they 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 take cheap shots. You know, most of those guys on that team would. Uh, outside of you know, you didn't see Dumars do it very often or at all, but uh, they did, and they 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 were kind of proud of it. So yeah, it was there was animosity. And I, so, what do you think in '91 when they walked off the floor? Well, you know what, it was. Uh, it wasn't very classy, you know. I mean, and I, I have this. I remember when, because one of their hurdles, or their hurdle was Boston, you know, before they got to the finals. Mm-hmm. And I can still remember when they beat Boston, and Kevin McHale yes. walking out and on the floor and shaking their hands near midcourt, basically yeah. saying, "Hey, you've earned it. Now go do it." You would think that a group of people would see that as an example and say, "You know, this is how we should act," but they didn't, and and. You know, but again, that was their kind of arrogance and uh, attitude. Um, and they, hey, look, they, they got a lot of notoriety and popularity and a lot of, I'm sure they made a lot of money because of that. But uh, at the end of the day, when you, when you compete hard against people, and, and we really did earn the, 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 that victory in, in, uh, in 91 when we, when we beat them and we swept them. Uh, because we had taken our lump for a lot of years. Yes, you did. And we had earned it, and it would have been nice. But, you know, it's funny sometimes you even hear guys today from that group who won't acknowledge, you know, anything silly. Yes, but, it is. But you know what? The ultimate revenge is is uh, is when you win. And, and especially at their building. Their it building. was great. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you're listening to Time Out Bulls. This is our weekly podcast, and we're joined today by John Paxson. And um, there are two games, John, I want you to highlight for us. And a trust factor comes in because teammates have to believe in you. You have to believe in yourself. And it's game five. You want to close it out at the Forum at Inglewood against the Laker Ball Club. You're on the way up. The Lakers are kind of fading. And the Bulls are the the team for the 90s. And they're going after Jordan Hart. And in that huddle, Phil Jackson goes to Michael and says, "We we got John Paxson open. So give him the rock, or I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. So how did that make you feel when you listened to that in the huddle? Well, first of or, all, it, was, it wasn't that dramatic. Over a period of, okay, help <laughs> me out, because over well, years, that's how it comes out. Yeah, but well, yeah, there's always, you know, I, I've learned that the great writers can tell a story, and they can they can do so, and some of it's, they just make so, it sound So you embellish than, it a little bit. Well, but, but, so what, but, but I here's mean, the thing, in that, in that series, uh, you have to remember that, Magic wasn't guarding Michael. He was guarding me. Byron Scott was guarding was guarding Michael most of the time. Magic was kind of a chaser. You know? Yes, he, he was a roamer. Yeah, he'd roam and chase the ball. So it, it wasn't that last game and that and that near those last huddles that Phil was pointing this out. I mean, there there were 
a lot of times, you know, uh, that, that it was pointed out that, look, this is how they're defending us, okay? So here's, here's what's open, you know, PAX is open some, you know, so, you know, just keep your eye open that, you know, so, so that, that's, that's really what happened. But um, that, that was just such a, a phenomenal series and, and feeling for us because we, we had struggled to, to try to, to make it to the finals. And we lost game one. We played terrible at home. And uh, we just somehow got our, our rhythm back in that game, too. Uh, you know, Michael went crazy. And all of us, you know, the the the, uh, the supporting cast guys who didn't play very well in game one kind of got it going in game mm-hmm. two as well. And it just carried over the rest of the series. But uh, th- that, that first championship, for me, will always be – one I cherish the most because it was the first. See, people one would had. think it would be Phoenix because of the game-winning shot. Yeah, but you know what? The, the, I'm I feel very lucky to have even been in that game in Phoenix, and I'll, I'll tell you why. But I, going back to '91, just just how how much we had gone through as a group, uh, you know, taking those beatings from Detroit all those years, and and then finally getting to the finals and winning, and and it being the first championship in Bulls history, and uh, the city, you know, just being so. Uh, just jacked by the the whole mm-hmm. thing that 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 will always be uh, and grant park was yeah, uh, millions yeah. of people yeah so so but no the, you know the 93 season for me was a difficult one it was my second to last one i'd had uh i had a couple i had a knee surgery uh the summer before uh, and and then when we got into the season uh in february i heard it again in houston and i flew home and i had surgery again and if you recall at that time the, uh, you had to set your playoff roster prior to the playoffs, 12-man roster. And I was, to be very honest with you, I was a little concerned I wasn't going to be on the 12-man roster. Really? Uh, I, I, you know, that's how I recall, you know, I, because, I, you know, BJ had started that year, um, and I, I was just, you know, I was a little little concerned. Uh, but they ended up putting me on the, on the playoff roster, and I, I really didn't, you know, the first couple of series, I, I saw spot minutes, but the Phoenix series seemed to – their personnel kind of seemed to suit me. And Phil always had confidence in me in terms of, on the defensive end, chasing shooters. So like Because you were matched up with Kevin Johnson? Well, no, I, no, I, I would match up against Ainge. Ainge, yeah, Danny, they, okay. They, they put me on Danny uh, because I, I, was, I was an attentive defender to shooters. I, you know, I, 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 I tried not to stray too far, you know. I, mm-hmm. And so I could chase Danny off screens and try to make it difficult for him, that type of thing. So I, I found myself playing in that Phoenix series more than I'd played in any of the other ones. And that was a wild series. It was crazy. I mean, the overtime, three-overtime game at Chicago Stadium. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, and, and just the, the, the characters uh, that were involved. You know, Char- yeah. Charles was such a, you know, he's such a character yeah. back then. And, you know, he, he uh, they just, they had a fun team. You know, Paul Westfall had a kind of a laid-back yes. approach to him. And, uh, and that team just played up and down the floor. You know, they really did. So, uh, it, it was a fun series. A lot of points were scored. A lot of, a lot of, uh, it was a lot of fun basketball. Well, you know, I mean, like, so your birthday um, uh, was just as we're recording. It's uh, early October, and John just celebrated a birthday. And so all of the uh, websites, when they they have a, a log, folks, and they say, you know, today's birthday is, and it was John Paxson's birthday, and they bring out the video of the game-winning shot '93. So let me ask you a question now that you can reveal everything. How many times have you seen that shot? Well, I mean, I've seen it enough now over, you know, 20-plus years that uh, that's really what I remember. I, 
I see it as everybody else does. You know, I don't remember it in the moment. Or you don't. I really don't. I, I mean, when it. you but but did you think you were going to get the ball to shoot? Absolutely. But not. you were prepared to shoot. Well, yeah, you know the 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 uh, if you dissect that play, um, and I always th- I always think about this. I think one of the underrated things about Phil was kind of in that moment. Um, most teams who we took a timeout. Uh, I think it was Dan Marley missed a little shot on the baseline. I think Pip came up with it, and we, we called a timeout. And you have, I think we had 14 seconds or something like that left. Most every coach advances the ball. You know, figure, you mm-hmm. know, Phil didn't advance the ball. He, he wanted to take it. We took it side out in the backcourt. And he wanted to do so because that would open more of the court. You know, we weren't going to be just congested into the, you know, so we could, we could, uh, you open more of the court, and the idea was to get Michael the ball and get him on the move up the floor, you know, and, and space the floor. So when you when you look at it, uh, Michael came up the floor with the ball, and as I recall, the, he was going to hit Scotty, who flashed to the top, and he was going to cut off Scotty to the right side of the floor. And, you know, they were going to have a little two-man mm-hmm. action. BJ was over there in that right corner. Horace and I were on the left side of the floor. Well, Charles made kind of a – half-ditch effort at the ball when, when it was thrown to Scotty. He was guarding Scotty. And that really turned that sequence from the right side of the floor to the left mm-hmm. because Scotty then had a direct line to the basket. And when he drove it, Horace's man stepped up to stop him. My man, who was Danny Ainge, sunk down when the pass was made to Horace. So I was just on the, the wing at the three-point line open. And, uh, and you hit the shot, and that was my that was my revenge against and, and, my, against Danny Ainge. It took me it took me uh, 11, 12 years. I love it. But it was and my you've revenge. got two arms raised in the air. You're going to the huddle. People are ecstatic, and you know because Pax, had you not hit that shot, you have a game seven in Phoenix, and it's tough to say. You know, you got Michael Jordan, and it's hard to go against a Michael Jordan in game seven. But let's on the road to game seven in Phoenix. I, who knows what would have happened, but and we would have had that was a Sunday. That was Father's Day. Yes, it was of '93, and it was a Sunday, and we would have had to wait till Wednesday to play, and it would have yeah, it would have been really hard. Really but, hard. But you know that didn't even end the game. I mean, then we had to make a defensive play, and, and obviously Horace came. Horace up, came uh, through. Came up huge. So John, you win three championships. Did your body decide a year later enough's enough? When did you know? Uh, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I, that, that off season was was pretty tough, and then I got into the year, and you know it was funny because that that was the the ninety three ninety four season. Michael retired, retired. Right, right before the the training camp. Opened. Right during the playoffs during with the White Sox and Blue exactly. Jays. Exactly, and so um, I was not. Uh, you know, I my body was starting to break down, and I I only played in 27 games that year, and I didn't play well, and I just knew. I mean, I, there there came a point during that year that I knew. Uh, Were you mentally beat up? I mean, you you only played 27 games after here you hit game six winning shot. Your yeah. body's starting to you know knock on the door. I mean, well, the, how the, how tough was it to deal with that? Well, the frustrating thing was when your body tells you you can't do you know. And look, I was never a great athlete. Um, I always thought I was faster than people gave me credit for, but I, I was never a great athlete. You know, Do you think jump. you exceeded your either physical abilities or your expectations you had on yourself when you were playing high school ball? Um, you know, I, I pro- probably so because, you know, my MBA career was very much I always had to prove myself. 
I mean, you know, I, I did have, a, I, I had a couple guaranteed contracts, which was nice, you know, you, but every time, very honestly, every time I came to camp with the Bulls, they had brought in two or three guards. And it was, I had, I had to prove myself year after year after year. What's the longest contract you had with the Bulls? Was it four years, no, five years? Three, three, three the, the longest the, was three. Three years, yeah, yeah. But but I, I always had to prove myself. And, um, you know, I can I can remember when uh, when Phil got the job uh, in 89. So his first year was 89-90, and we drafted uh, Stacy King and BJ. And Phil got the job, and he called me up. And he'd been an assistant. And he said, he goes, look, he goes, uh, here's what I'm going to expect of you. I'm going to expect you, my point guards, to get up the floor and uh, put pressure on the other guards. He said, I don't know if you can do it. And we just drafted this kid, B.J. Armstrong, uh, you know, but this is what I'm going to expect. So how do you take that? Well, this was after this was after, you know, years of coming to camp and having to beat out Steve Coulter and Rory Sparrow and Sam Vinson and the list goes on and on. Yeah, that's what I. So I, I just I looked at it as as saying, well, there's my challenge. And I've told Phil this since. It was probably the best thing he could have done for me because I knew exactly what he was expecting. And I came into camp that year determined to do exactly what he asked. I came in in probably the best shape of my life. And uh, and I, I did what he asked me to do. I got up the floor. I, I pressured point guards. Um, I knew that, you know, I mean, Phil always played me when I started in that 25 to 32 minute range, I think I averaged 27 or 20. So I knew I wasn't going to be out there, you know, 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just played hard and, and I, I did what he asked and, and I made shots. I mean, those, those things, the one, one, if there's one thing I'm, there's a lot of things I'm really proud of in terms of having played 11 years, but you know, for my career, I ended up shooting just a, I'm, 49-9, as a as a shooter, and I, I wasn't a guy that got layups, and I wasn't a guy that got the foul line. Um, so, and, and and I wasn't a guy that made a high percentage of three point shots. I mean, people remember you make a. a How many big, shots do you think you took a game on an well, average? My, that's the thing. You know, my my whole thing was, you know, I, I could go, I could have a game or two where I'd get 15, 18 shots. Really? But, but I, but then I can go three or four games where I get four or five. <laughs> it's just, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I, I was dependent. I, I was smart enough to know that I wasn't going to create my own shot. I wasn't a guy, you know, with the ball and I was going to break you down off the dribble. So my offense, a lot of times was dependent on a couple of things. It was dependent on finding open areas on the floor. When double teams came, it was getting out in the open court and finding shots and rhythm that way. Um, and, you know, and fortunately for me, I played with the greatest player in the game who drew a lot of attention. And what that, was your relationship like? Well, you know, Michael and I, this is funny. Uh, back when we were both in college, we ended up on a, a USA basketball team together that went over to Europe. And we played in, uh, I think we played in Switzerland, Budapest, Hungary, and, and we played in uh, a little town in Yugoslavia called it was Yugoslavia at the time. It called Zadar. So, how old are you at the time? I, I w- well, I I, I want to say I think it was the summer of eighty one or eighty or eighty one. Yeah, it must have been eighty one, eighty one or eighty two. I, I can't remember. So he's about so 18, 19, just, 20, somewhere in that yeah, range. Yeah, and Michael just yeah, I think it was just after his freshman year, and we had an odd mix of players. Uh, not a lot of names people would remember at the time. I think the only other guy that that played in the league was Jeff Turner, uh, who played mm-hmm. in Orlando. And uh, our coach was C.M. Newton, who was the coach at Vanderbilt at the time. 
Right, who had Jeff Turner. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but, but uh, Michael and I, we spent a week down at Vanderbilt in in end of June or early July in brutal heat, and Michael, Michael and I roomed together. And I, I, you know, we, not that we were became great friends or anything, but we our paths had crossed. And I, there was a game. There was this game in this little town in Yugoslavia called Zadar that I made a shot to win the game. And I always thought somewhere along the line Michael remembered that, you know. So because <laughs> I'm telling you what, Michael was always as supportive of me as a, as a teammate as I could ever have asked or expected. And, you know, anytime anybody would, uh, would bring my name up and trade me, he'd be like, you know, no. And I, and I, I do think he saw that I, I worked hard, played hard, I cared about the game, uh, I approached it the right way. You know, he'd give me a hard time a lot about my, you know, I, I had a tendency to get a little ticked off at referees and, you know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. But uh, um, the one thing I always tried to do was, you know, I didn't try, I, I, I didn't try to smother him or beat, you know, I mean, you got to remember then, we, we used to travel commercial all the time and, you know, you were in airports together, you, you sit there, you know, as a group, you know, playing cards, waiting on flights, that type of thing. It was a different, it was a different culture than it is today. But uh, I have... Uh, I have the ultimate respect for for him, just given how often I saw him. You know, everybody talks about his work ethic and that type of thing, but I think at the end of the day, what what I saw with him was he had a, a unbelievable respect for the fan, in terms of he knew they they were coming to see him. Yes, and and he. He didn't want to disappoint him. You know, he he play exhibition games. Oh, and, think about your and, preseason oh, schedule. I mean, but, you're but, you're in these playing in South Dakota or but, Montana or whatever. He, he had, you know, I, I I remember a lot of games during the regular season where you know you'd be in the locker room beforehand, and again you play you flying commercial. We might have played in Boston the night before. We had to get up. You know, the rule was you had to take the first available flight out. You know, you couldn't wait to get to your room, draw the drapes, and get some sleep, but. He'd be like, you know, he'd be exhausted, but he'd find a way to to muster it up and and. Uh, but I, I I really I mean I, I got great respect for. Uh, okay, so answer man. this: How close were you when he was running the Wizards? Because there are a lot of stories floating around, and maybe you can clear it up that he wanted you as a head coach. Were you offered the job? Did you talk and I guess on the outside, and did it ever get serious or? Was there a point where you said, you know what, I want to talk to my family and I may want to do this, and then you decided at the last second, no, I'm not. So well, how did that evolve? He, he, he did call me and, and talk to me about it. And, uh, and I, I pro- if I thought about it, I didn't think about it for very long because I, I knew I didn't want to coach. I, I just And why not? Because, Pax, if someone told me when I saw you play, and I think I told you this when you were an active player when I was covering the Bulls, not involved with the organization, but when I was working at GN. If someone told me, I, I compare this to Joe Girardi, there are certain people when they were playing that you could say, that guy is going to be a coach. That person has all the attributes that you're looking for as a head coach. I was certain that you were going to be a head coach in the NBA. I'm serious. No, well, that's, uh, yeah, but you, you know what? I, I, I just, there's something... I know how I deal with things, and are you are you wound too tight, or is that? Is, it's not about being wound too tight. I'm I am I can be with this game. I can be really emotional. I know that about myself, but I I just you know, and, and I know a lot of coaches are like this. Uh, you know, I read something interesting 
or have seen it the last couple of years about how Urban Meyer, when he was down in Florida, how that job just completely consumed, consumed him. him. And do you think that would have happened? I always kind of felt like that would be it, and and I just I never had the confidence that I would be able to handle that the right way, you know. And and you just so I so I knew I didn't want to coach, and I you know I, I had I had had one little stint. I Phil I went on Phil's staff for the. Uh, 95, 96 team, you know, 72 mm-hmm. and 10, I couldn't sure. do any better. So, so, and, and I, you know, I just, I knew during that year, it just wasn't part of, you know, my makeup and my temperament. Um, and so, you know, and, and I enjoyed doing the broadcasting all those years. That was fun. Yeah, you're uh, kept unbeaten. Me, kept, kept, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kept me around, yeah, you kept me around the game and, and that, and, and the, and the other thing too, is my boys were younger, you know, they were in their, you know, they were like in the year I was on staff, they were nine and six, and I missed everything that year. You know, yeah. it, it started to, to think about it, but uh, um, you know, I, everything works out for a reason, I think. And and for me, this one, you know, I, I just knew I didn't want to coach. All right, um, we've taken a lot of time. In fact, we're going to do two podcasts with you because this is a fascinating story. As we learn a lot about Pax, and I appreciate your transparency very much. The 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 opportunity comes along to work in the front office, not only to work in the front office, but to run the Chicago Bulls. Um, when you took that job, what were your, what, what did you assume about the job or, or think in your mind about the job? Then all of a sudden you take the job and you go, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I- I, I mean, uh, dealing with agents, dealing with the media, dealing with issues that happen everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, you never know until you get into it. I, I was just- you know, Jerry Reinsdorf came to me and asked me if I'd wanted to do it, and you know, I, I I was flattered that he looked at me in that regard. You know, I I think I asked him, you know, why, and uh, you know, he basically said, "Hey, I've been interviewing you for a long time. You just didn't know it." You know, that's, that that's, type of thing. That's an exact quote. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, um, but I I was at that point where it wasn't you know doing the the broadcasting and that type of thing. It was great, but you know it wasn't meaningful. And I, I was—I think I was ready to try to dip my toe back in and that competitive part of it. Uh, and again, a lot of it's situational. My kids were old, getting older; they were in high, you know high school at the time, so the time seemed right. And I figured if this would be my one and only chance to get an opportunity to, to do it. Um, so, you know, you—I you, remember diving in. I—I uh, I did something. That, you know, I've I spent a little time with Jerry Krause one day. You know, just ask him about you know agents and dealing with people and he had some some great insight into the, some of the the personalities and and things uh but you never know until you you get in and you start making phone calls and talking to people um i you know i i got the job in march so i was behind the curve you know with that draft class and that was the 2003 draft class that was you know, oh boy was lebron yes and, and carmelo and Dwayne and chris bosh and that whole mm-hmm. crew and uh but i i, I felt I felt good because I knew a lot of the people that were working with me. Uh, Gar being one of them, you know. I got and I got to know Gar more and more as as we started going through this process, and uh, and it just it just felt comfortable and right. And you know, we we it was it was that time period where we'd had you know we won the championship last one in '98, and it'd been those five years that that were tough. You know, it was tough on the organization, tough on the fan base, trying to. Recreate and redefine uh, ourselves as a team. So it, it was it was difficult, but uh, and, and I and I learned right away. I mean, we we got into that first season, 
and we drafted Kirk Heinrich that year, and um, you know we had a lot of young guys. We still we had Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. Um, you know, oh, two months into the job, and one week before the draft that year, Jay Williams hurt himself with a motorcycle, with a motorcycle accident. And so th- those are things you cannot prepare for. Um, and that, you know, when you're thinking big picture and you're you're looking at, you, know, you just had him as a second pick in the draft the year before. That was tough. You know, we we but we we had to try to to get it together. Um, first year wasn't great, but I we did a couple things that year that I'm. I'm proud of in terms of setting the course in the direction. That and what the, were those? Well, it, one of the very probably the most difficult thing to have to do is let people go. And uh, Bill Carter was our coach at the time, and and a former Bill, teammate. Bill, Bill, probably the most professional person I'd ever been around in the league. You know, just in the way he carried himself and his leadership qualities. And uh, but we. We let him go. How, how was that? What was that conversation like? It, it was, you know, what it, it was quick. I, it was in Dallas. I flew to Dallas and uh, and I let him go. And um, I stood in front of the team and I said, you know, there's a reason he's been let go, and it's not all Bill's fault. It's you guys in this room too. Um, and uh, so, so that happened. Um, and then, you know, I at that time, I'd ha- I'd, I knew Scott Skiles a little bit. I knew his reputation. I, I knew what I felt I wanted in a coach. That we needed to change our culture. We needed, to, you know, we had too many young guys that that didn't understand how to how to really be a professional and what it what it really took and kind of have things demanded of them and held accountable. Uh, and so I went down one one day to Bloomington where Scott was, and we spent a whole afternoon just talking basketball and philosophy and. I could tell our, our philosophy meshed, you know. So we uh, so I brought Scott on that uh, during during that year, and it was still a difficult year. But the other thing we did was we made a, a trade, and you know, we we had Jalen Rose on our team, and I just didn't feel you know Jalen was very very talented, could score a lot of points. Um, I just didn't feel it that it was the right. He was the right guy to kind of be the the right. you know the presence. And you trade him to Toronto. Trade him, trade him to <laughs> Toronto. To Toronto at the time. Yeah, and you know, in those type of deals, we you know Jalen had I think four years left on his deal, and we were able to chip one year off of it, uh, getting Antonio Davis in return. But getting Antonio and hiring Scott really set us on the right course because AD came in, and you know, again, you're, you're looking for a. A presence and a role model for your young guys. Mm-hmm. We had we had Eddie and Tyson at the time. And AD came in and he was just a stud. I mean, I he he was, you know, all you had to do was observe him, how he approached the game and how he took care of himself, how he played with, you know, a fierceness and oh, yeah. toughness. I, I it was uh, kind of set us on the the path, even though we really struggled that year, uh, and then. You know, you you get an opportunity to draft. Jerry stepped up that next year. Uh, we traded a we, we basically bought and traded picks with Phoenix, so we got two picks in that draft, which netted us Ben Gordon and Lou Aldang. Uh, we signed Nocioni that next summer, and all of a sudden we had an identity. We we had a you had a core. We had a core, and we had yeah. some toughness to us, and we had a coach and Scott that that uh, gave us you know kind of an attitude and and. Uh, and all of a sudden, we were back in the playoff hunt, and um, 
it, it was tough because that second year we lost our first nine games. Uh, but we turned it around because those guys were, were workers and great people, and we ended up winning 47 games and making the playoffs, and that started a playoff run that, that you know, we, we went through outside of uh, the one year that I, we let Scott go. We, we didn't make, but that started the playoff run that kind of ended last year. So yeah. was, I, I was proud of that. John, before we wrap it up, a couple of things that have happened over the last few years. Um, and obviously you're in, not in control of injuries, but when Derek went down with the ACL, um, I believe it was a Saturday afternoon and we're playing Philadelphia and you get word that, he suffered an ACL. How devastating was that for you, knowing that you were building this club around him? He was an exceptional talent. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you know, when we were sitting up. I was up in the suite watching that game, and you could tell when he exploded and the way he kind of collapsed. Did you know right away? Did you yeah, think I, mean, I, I sensed. You know, I didn't know. You never no, know but you sensed something was going on. Yeah, he sensed it was bad, really bad. And then when we got down to the locker room, a couple guys, uh, I think I saw, you know, Doug Collins was coach of Philly at the time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think they said they even heard something, you know, because it was right in front of their bench. So, you know, we knew. And it, it's just, it's one of those things that you just, it's sports. You don't have any control over. You wish you did. I mean, you know, you, we can we can sit here and wish it didn't happen and what could have what could have been with that team. Uh, but it didn't, didn't happen. And in this business now with – uh, you know, with salary cap and luxury tax, there's a lot of things, a lot of decisions you make that maybe aren't the greatest things basketball-wise, but you have to make for the future of your franchise to give you, you know, to kind of maintain some options and flexibility. And so when Derek went, got hurt and, you know, the, the comeback was long and tedious and uh, I give him credit. I, you know, I, he, he battled, when he was here, he battled through a lot of difficult Experiences, you know, because then he tore his meniscus in, out in Portland the one time and had to come back and have surgery. Uh, it's it's one of those stories for us is you know what could have been, but it didn't happen, and uh, you know we dealt with a lot with you know, with him and his injury. Okay, final question. So where is John Paxson today, 2016, 2017? Um, I mean, do you still have the passion? Do you still enjoy coming to work? Do you still enjoy getting on an airplane and seeing? you know, an ACC basketball game on a Wednesday night in February? <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I do. And, you know, the great thing for me is this, is that, um, you know, seven years ago, I think it is now, um, I took myself out of the more of the day-to-day -day stuff, and we gave that to Gar. Um, dealing with agents, you know, negotiating the contracts, those type of things. Were you um, burned out, or is it just – I don't want to say burned out, but it's just time to – Kind of turn the page yeah, I, in that area again. You know, there's always again. You know, it kind of goes back to my personality and you know, you, you're competitive. First of all, Gar's a better. Uh, he's better at kind of. He's a better persuasive type person when talking to agents and that type of thing than than I am, which is a, a strength you have to have. Um, I do think I've always been able to recognize what I'm not good at, and I've tried to stay in my lane and and do what I am good at. But um, I still enjoy evaluating talent and trying to, to figure out, you know, be a part of our process of figuring out how we're going to put this team together. Um, Gar and I work hand in hand. Uh, you know, there's always misconceptions out there. He and I have a great relationship. It's good in the office. It's good outside the office. And, uh, 
you know, I, I honestly don't think there's many setups like this that could work effectively, but ours does. It works effectively. We, I think my strengths, uh, they're not his strengths sometimes and vice versa. So mm-hmm. I think we, we balance each balance other. Balance each other. And, uh, and we're not afraid to, you know, bring any ideas up or make, you know, say things that, that we. Sure. Do. So I, it's been, it's been a, a real good, and it's probably saved me in terms of, you know, longevity at least. You know, I think I can. I think I have a better perspective uh, now than I did seven years ago. So, uh, well, those who have uh, of us who have been around who have covered you as a player, obviously, you know, assistant coach, broadcaster, front office, know that you're a great man of integrity and respect. And and as we wrap this up, when you walk into the locker room and then when you exit, there are folks murals uh, on the walls um, near locker rooms uh, in the lower concourse area, lower bowl of the United Center. And they've got the players of yesteryear with the Bulls, and it's called Bulls Legends. And every player that comes in and out of that locker room with the Bulls and some opposing players, when they see and they hit the locker room or the weight room, walk past this. And there's a picture of John Paxson. And I'm wondering, Paxson, do you take it, I don't want to say for granted, but you see your picture every day and you see that picture of, you know, number five and you see that youthful John Paxson <laughs> and you see, you know, that player of yesteryear. And I wonder, because you see it every day, is it, what goes through your mind when you see your picture? Well, first of all, I, I've, they should take that one down and put somebody no, else No, I don't think there. so, no, but that's a nice I, do, I, I know, I appreciate your humility, no, no, but. Here's what it's, no, look, I. What do you think? So, I mean, so, does, so it, much, does so, it mean a lot? It does, but but it's it means a lot for this reason. I'm I'm like I'm really fortunate, and I and I know that that to have been with this organization for thirty plus years now, and some of it's blind luck, some of it's working hard, some of it's you know being a a good person and, and playing the right way, representing the city. Absolutely, but you know this wouldn't happen if we didn't have ownership that we have. I mean. Jerry Reinsdorf's been here for, you know, he, he bought the team in the, the spring of 85, and I came in the fall of 85, and I've been here ever since. I mean, it's, it's, I'm lucky. If, if, uh, if he had ever sold this franchise, I wouldn't be in this position today because it's how the business is. So I feel very fortunate to, to have been basically with one organization my entire career. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And I know there's a lot of people out there say, you know, you, you hear all the, the talk, and when you don't have success, people want you gone. But uh, I, I, a lot of I'm I'm proud of of what we've done, and you know, having been in this position for 13 years, a lot of the decisions we've made. Um, I say this all the time. You know, when when we make good decisions, it's it's usually because we've made a good character decision. When we make bad decisions, it's because we've made a bad character decision. Um, and so you know, it's it's. Uh, I, I but I, I I feel strongly about this organization, and I I try not to take it for granted uh, because. You know, there's going to be a day when I'm I walk away from it all, and and, and you know I'll, I'll have been I'll I'll just feel blessed that uh, I was here in this city, and uh, I will take pride in having tried to represent the organization the right way every chance I had. Well, hopefully that won't happen for yeah, a long, yeah, long time. Thanks. Our many thanks to uh, John Paxson. John, thank you. And uh, we appreciate it. Time Out Bulls, a Bulls podcast. We'll be back next week with another edition right here on Bulls.com, our Bulls social media network, and, of course, Apple iTunes. Thanks for listening to today's show. Lexus is indeed a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. 
You can visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see the new 2017 Lexus IS. It makes a statement even before you start the engine.